It's good to see everybody. Um, I'm back from a, a, a family uh, memorial that we had for my wife's uh, mother, and so grateful that everybody uh, gave me a break, and uh, and um, and then uh, Eric filled in and fill, uh, did did a fantastic job uh, bringing the word. Uh, so I'm knocking the rust off of a little bit in trying to um, take this series that we're doing and make it making it meaningful. Did you guys just enjoy what Brian did? kind of engaging us a little bit more in, in music and stuff like that. Because I'm guessing that we have a few music lovers in here. Do we have any vinyl lovers in here? Nobody? Nobody's into vinyl? Does anybody know what? Let me rephrase that. Vinyl LPs. Anybody into vinyl LPs? You like it. Okay, uh, because I just want to show you a picture real quick. I'm going to do the announcements at the end of the message because I think it will be disruptive to perhaps what God may be doing right now. And uh, here's a picture that I want to show you of a vinyl record. Anybody ever see one of those? All right, so you know what I'm talking about. Anybody ever play one of those? I notice no hands up there in the balcony. Any of you guys? Awesome. Yeah. Isn't it cool to see another generation of young music aficionados enjoying the art of the LP? Now, I don't know if they're aware of it or not, but when we were kids, we would buy all kinds of records, yes, and some of us even kiss records, (laughs) which I just say that as a way of confessing something I needed to get out of my head. But on those albums, many of them would have a picture of a dog and what looks like a big horn, which is uh, in that day something called a gramophone. And the gramophone was the first recorded recording device uh, that people could go and buy and then put their albums on and listen to music that would be recordings of concert events. And the whole idea was to capture what you would experience in a symphony hall or a concert gathering. And maybe in that day you were listening to Beethoven or Bach or Sousa marches. I mean, it was 1899 when this thing started to begin to be something. And they decided that they would put this logo on there, the RCA company, before they were RCA. And what it depicted was, was this image. I'll show you a little bit clearer close-up. And that is, as the dog is looking into the gramophone, he's asking himself the question, I'm hearing my master's voice, but I'm not seeing my master down in there. And the whole idea for people that are new to the music scene, new to the idea of gathering um, uh, all of the, the entire symphony into one vinyl disc and then playing it in the comfort of their home, the big idea was how can we take what we hear there and faithfully reproduce it on this little recording device? And they managed to pull it off. To such an extent, the claim was, even the dog who's very tuned to your, your coming into the room and your voice is saying, hmm, that sounds a lot like somebody I know, but I'm confused. And the claim that salesmen would say is that that device offers high fidelity. You got, are you with me? High fidelity? 
How many of you had hi-fi sets, hi-fi devices? I'm not talking about hi-five. I'm talking hi-fi, hi-fi stereo systems. The whole premise was you buy the stereo, you don't need to go to the concert. It is that good. And the whole idea of that reproduction to that degree of precision uh, just captivated everybody. Here's another little known fact. About 100 years ago, actually if you look at that, 118 years ago, people when they would gather would often sing. And people who asked questions about what did people say when people gathered, they said, you know, people never really used the phrase, I don't know how to sing. It wasn't a common occurrence until about a hundred years ago, it started to begin to happen. People would come to gatherings and they would tell other people, don't really know how to sing. Matter of fact, I don't need to sing because I've outsourced that need through the hi-fi system. But prior to that, when people would gather in gatherings at churches, civic events, like um, uh, whether it's a fraternal organization or maybe they were a part of something like uh, Eastern Star, the Masons, uh, other gatherings where people said, we have this in common and we want to celebrate that. Did you know that everybody would sing? Everybody had memorized a catalog of songs that corresponded with the purpose of the organization that they were a part of. Many of them went to church and they memorized church songs and they would sing them oftentimes in private and if they felt like yeah I'm not really that great at least when they gathered socially they would say I may not sound good individually but I I do sound well whenever I blend and it was kind of cool hearing everybody because if you had doubts about your singing I just want to assure you you sounded great Uh, because maybe that whole phenomenon of blending kicked in you sounded pretty true to what we were hearing and it was awesome But we've come to a place in time where we are so, we have access to so many different versions and types and genres of songs that it's an optional thing. But did you know that singing is actually really good for you? This is a sidebar fact. Uh, We had a choir here in the last service. And what the choir director does is enables all 20-some people that are singing in that choir to breathe at the same pace. And there's a little device in the back of their throat that's called a larynx, and it has a couple little flaps in it that, that sort of have mucus on it. And when, when you blow air through that device, it can actually sound pretty awesome. And the, the choir director's job is to synchronize the flow of air out of the lungs of the people that are in the choir through that little device in a way that it all comes out at the same time and they just blend beautifully. And if they can sing well, it just elevates the whole quality of the performance. And here's something else that happens. People that have been in those environments have been studied by scientists regarding what is going on in their bodies whenever they're singing together and they're breathing together. They actually said over time, their bodies begin to be in sync. Their heart rates begin to 
beat at the same time, at the same speed, together. And something kind of deeply mystical happens there that I think is that thing that we call, wow, that musical experience that I just had is, words can't describe it. It's just something special. And God sees that at a deeper level. But the other thing that happens is, is inside their brains, something else is going on. There is a neurochemical reaction that happens that says, I feel good. I feel really good. And it's something called oxy, oxytocin. And there's another one called endorphins. And people sing and then, believe it or not, after they get done, they feel pretty awesome. And they're thinking, man, I, I would like to do that again. And maybe you've experienced that in your car as you're singing along with your favorite hi-fi recording device and listening to your favorite artist and blending in with them. And it's just a God-given thing. It is a way for God to say, if we are all in sync in the right way, it works. But if we're not, it doesn't work. Because something else that they said about people that enjoyed choirs is that if they miss a practice, when they test the neurochemicals in their body, the hormones in their body, they say that there is a, a higher amount of cortisol, which is a bad hormone, it's a stress hormone, and it honestly just makes you feel pretty nasty. But when they do sing and they do participate, there is that good hormone that just makes them feel they feel better than average. Where am I going with that? As God is looking at this church body and he's saying, I've given each member of this body my spirit. And the way that you know is whether or not some things are coming out of this body in the way of interacting with each other and the behavior that they have. It's, it's emerging out of them and flowing into conversations and flowing into relationships and it is described in this way. People when they see it going on they say I see love, I see joy, I see peace, I see patience, I see kindness, I see faithfulness, I see gentleness, I see self-control. They are all in sync. They are all breathing at the same rate the breath of the Spirit into their lives, and they're living it out in a way that they're actually feeling pretty good, and so much so that the quality of their existence together is elevated by how they show so much love, and how they have so much joy, and how, despite what is going on out there, they've got peace. And there's a lot of people who sort of make their way into this place. They're people that have been saying to themselves, I've done a lot of things out there and I found, I found little glimpses of it, like love, and I found some peace but not enough to satisfy. And there's a joy but it doesn't last. And I've, honestly, I've looked for people who could be a little kinder. But I can't seem to find it. And you know what God said? I want to create a new community of people that are my choir. They are my voice. They hear my voice and they reflect my voice in a way that no one can mistake. 
this must be from God. And God says our song really is the fruit of the Spirit. But a lot of us, we come into this room, and truth be told, we have issues with faithfulness. It may be that I, I want to I wanna have a good relationship with God, but I can't seem to make it happen. Too many other things are pulling me away. Too many other things are distracting me. And so here, pastor, if you keep it short, you got me. If you keep it long, maybe not. But here I'm finding something that just seems to pull me in. And that something is just God working, hopefully, through us in a way that you're hearing our song. But there's some of us who want to bring more and more of that to bear upon this experience. But if you were to look at our lives, there's a, there's a continuum between our unfaithfulness to what we believe is true in this room and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and faithfulness. And many of us could say somewhere on this continuum would be an X that I would put. I would say that's my life. I'm kind of faithful to God, but I'm kind of not. Now when God hears that, he's heartbroken. And it's not that he's trying to coerce anybody into faithfulness. He's heartbroken because he knows that there's a better way for you. And the more you're drawn into, into him, the more we see just how good it really is. Yeah, I think if, if, if I were to ask any of you, what is your picture of God? I mean, when, when, if I were just to say, you know, do you think he's mean? Are you not sure? Do you think that sometimes he's mad and sometimes he's pretty happy? Do you think sometimes God just loves me any and all times no matter what? Well, whatever you're thinking about God, that's how you're going to relate to him. Um, you know, my, my, my wife, she can be pretty loving. She can be somewhat strict sometimes. She can be challenging. But for some reason, I felt like it was important to be in a relationship with this particular woman. And as a result of that, I've discovered something. That if I'm faithful to God, because I know he's faithful to me, then it just seems to work in my relationship with her. Could you imagine me telling my wife, well, I'm, I'm kind of faithful to you, honey, but sometimes I'm kind of not faithful to you? Could you imagine how that would go over? This would be the last sermon you'd ever hear from me. I would be obliterated from the planet. But there's something about faithfulness that is so important for us to hang on to because it makes all the difference. It's actually a life and death thing. And it involves ourselves, our God, and each other. And when God looks at us, he says, I want you to get a good picture of who I am. And in the past, you've read some things in the Old Testament that seem pretty scary. But the writer of Hebrews says, if you really want to know what I look like, all you need to do is look at the face of Jesus. 
And when you see his face, that's all you need to see. And bound up in the character of this human being that was God is something pretty special. And that leads us into our story. Because there was a guy who did not really care for the Jewish people. Matter of fact, his job was to take his boot and put his foot down on the neck of the Jewish people and to let them know he's in charge here because Rome is in charge here. And yet, he took his foot off, his foot, took his foot off of the neck of one person and said, there is something special about you that gives me a completely different picture about who I thought God was. Because you're filled with a power and a compassion and a grace and a love that I've never seen before. And I could just imagine Jesus saying, that's right. And the reason that's right is because once you understand that God not only loves you, that God not only is trustworthy, that God not only is always at all times faithful, it'll change your life. And this guy who was caught up in oppressing a bunch of people, he had some God issues going on in his life. There was someone that he cared deeply about in his household that was broken. And he'd played every card in his hand to try to bring this person to health. And when he saw Jesus, and when he saw the character of God in the face of Jesus, he knew this may be the place that I need to go to make my life whole again. I'm just going to tell you the story. It's in Matthew chapter 8, and beginning in verse 5, I'd like to just look at it real quickly if we can. It says these words. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion, that is a guy who is in the military, who's over 100 people responsible uh, to him, uh, when he came to Jesus, he appealed to him and said, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible distress, and he said to him, I, I will come, I'll come and cure him. And the centurion answered, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, the soldiers under me, and I say, one, go, and he goes, and I say to another, come, and he comes, and I go to my slave, and I say, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard him, he was amazed. I want you to know something. The only time that we are aware that Jesus is amazed about something in the Bible, uh, it is here. This, this oppressor of our people, Jesus is like, man... You, my friend, get it. And he said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and from the west and will eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the the heirs of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's just another way of saying if that scared you that 
they don't want to be a part of this. And so I'll just let them not be a part of it. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you according to your faith. And the servant was healed in that hour. And what Jesus just did right there was he honored the faith or the faithfulness of the centurion. But how do you do that? I mean, how do we as believers move from the continuum of unfaithful to faithful? I think it's actually locked into the story. Because what the Roman centurion said was, I have a need. I want to go to the guy that has the authority to do something about it. And when I do, I'm going to trust him to do something about it, knowing that he can. And sure enough, he did. And what Jesus demonstrated to him, he's actually asking all of us to be a part of. Anybody ask you, do you believe in God? And you say, well, yeah, I believe in God. No question about that. I'm not really sure who he is, but I, I believe in God. And some people would say, well, I believe in Jesus as my Savior. And they just kind of leave it at that. And it doesn't really change anything. They don't really become part of the great chorus of people that are singing the fruit of the Spirit. But what Jesus said was, if you have faith and you're faithful, this is what faithful people do. They trust the authority that is in the relationship. Now let me just perhaps make that sensible to you. One reason why I don't cheat on my wife is because we have a covenant that we made in a church like this together. This is one reason And that covenant has authority in my life, and I honor that covenant. But it was a covenant that I didn't just make with her. I made with her and God. And I respect that covenant. It has authority. It tells me what I can and can't do within that relationship. And I honor it. And guess what? We have been blessed because of it. I respected the authority of that covenant. I also respected the God who helped us to create it. And as a result of recognizing that I'm not the only one calling the shots in this equation. As I trusted that the authority of God would make it work. I surrendered to it. I made myself faithful to it. I trusted That God is trustworthy. And even in this relationship, if we struggle, he's faithful in it and will help us with it. And I can honestly say I found that to be true. But when you come into a church setting, the same dynamic, believe it or not, is in play. A lot of us who are here have made a decision to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And we've made a covenant with him by saying, I want to surrender my life to you and become a part of your family and live with you forever. And I'm going to be baptized like you were so that that demonstrates publicly that this in fact is true. But I also want you to know that I believe that you're trustworthy. I believe that you're worthy of living my life for I believe that even though I've tried a lot of things out there, I'm ashamed of a lot of the things I've done out there. I am haunted sometimes by the choices that I've made out there. I believe that if I surrender all of who I was out there to the authority of the one who can heal a centurion's son, to one who could die on a cross 
surrender his life to death, defeating death at its own game and sin and evil and Satan so powerfully because he has that authority and then rising up out of the grave on the third day saying it is a new day for a new choir of people that will be singing a new song and living it out so beautifully. Some of us in this room have said, I want that. And we've surrendered to the authority of the one who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we've allowed his life to influence our lives. And a lot of us keep coming back Sunday after Sunday. We keep talking to him week after week. Because what happened out there wasn't working. Matter of fact, the more we went through life, the more we found it really wasn't working. And the more we realized we needed some other authority in our lives. Um, What I'd like to do right now is just ask the question, who truly is your authority? And maybe maybe you're wondering, I don't even know what you're talking about, Leonard. The way I discovered where what was having authority over my life was asking the question, what is having influence in my life? What do I do that affects the most who I am? Are you with me? What am I paying attention to the most? Whatever it is I'm paying attention to the most, that actually is the thing that is driving my life. That is the thing that says, this is how you should live. That is your authority. If you were to just go through, pick a day last week. What did you pay attention to the most? It could have been your job, and that would mean your boss had authority over you, and you respected that, otherwise the arrangement would fall apart and you'd lose your job. It could be that, I know you guys up there in the choir loft or in the, in the thing are going, oh no, he's going to social media. Okay, I did it. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go there now. You guys have permission to not like me afterwards, but hopefully you'll respect me. Uh, let me just show some slides. Uh, there was an article a few weeks ago, and the, the question was asked, since 2007, I got one of these wonderful devices called an iPhone. And the question somebody was asking was, how is it changing your life? Is it changing anybody's lives? So they just asked a whole bunch of people who were in a cohort of 30 years and younger. And a lot of them were, 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 were younger. So I want to show some, just some stats. Okay. So I'll interpret this for you. In 2007, uh, people were hanging out with their friends a lot. But somehow their life changed and something redirected their behavior and they weren't hanging out so much. Uh, Next slide. A lot of kids were saying, I want to drive. Somewhere along the way, a lot of kids started saying, not interested in driving, I got a chauffeur. You parents know who those are. (laughs) Next slide. Somewhere along the way, somebody said, I'm really all about dating. And then people started saying, I'm eh, not interested as much as I used to be. 
And then I'll, I'll show two more. Um, one is more likely to feel lonely. So I'm doing something and I feel kind of lonely. And all of a sudden, something happened. Now, man, I feel lonely all the time. I don't feel connected, even though I'm connected. And then, um, one more. Less likely to get enough sleep. Well, somewhere along the way, I figured out I don't need it. So, I'm not going to get enough of it. Is there... Is there an influence here? Is there an authority here? Is there something that people are doing that's changing their behavior? I don't know. It's just a bunch of dumb statistics. So let's just move on. What I, what I want you to realize is whatever we pay attention to, that's the thing that tells us what to do. It's as simple as that. For the centurion, he said, I'm paying attention to what's happening here in, the, in, the, in Judea and in Capernaum. And if somebody steps out of line, tell you what I do. I shut them down. But all of a sudden, he's thinking, even that's getting old. I'm getting tired of beating up on people. I'm getting tired of even killing people. I need something better. And he sees Jesus. And he recognizes that there is power there. He recognizes there's something special there. He recognizes that he has a big need in his life. And Jesus said... Too bad you're Roman, not good enough. No. What's so shocking about this is Jesus said, come on in. Come on in. Isn't it awesome that the authority of Jesus goes even beyond this church into the community, into the people that would even be haters of him? Jesus says, you know what? I love you that much. So here's how it plays out. Just want to look at two ways that this, this finally becomes something that we have to manage. Because I think faithfulness is something we manage. I have a relationship with my wife. It's covenant faithfulness. I have to manage that. She has to manage that. We have to look at that and say, what do we do to keep this healthy? I have a relationship to my phone. I have to manage it. I have to, I'm faithful to it, but I manage it. I have property. I'm faithful to it. I have to manage it. I'm the pastor. And there are all kinds of people that come in and out of this building and people that are part of this body. And I have to ask myself every day, am I faithful to these people? And where would they put me on that continuum of unfaithful versus faithful? And I have to ask myself, how can I be more faithful to all the things that are asking me for attention? And I'm only paying attention honestly to the things that are important to me. The things that have authority in my life. Anybody have cats or dogs? You guys up in the balcony? Still with me? Still with me? Can I hear an amen if you're still with me? Alright, awesome. Not real. But you know what? We have a choir director. He'll take you in. Tune you right up. I've got this cat that I inherited from my, my niece. And I really didn't want the cat. But the cat does something real interesting. Whenever I get up and I start walking around and he comes over to me, he'll just kind of try to get my attention. 
And then he'll stretch. And then he'll stretch out like this prostate like that. Legs, legs out like that. And he's stretching out. And he does it every time. And the weird thing is, same thing with the dog. I come home from work. Dog sees me. And he goes like this. And I'm like, you're bowing down to me. Nobody does that. Do you think I'm a god or something? And then I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to go with this. And I realized that it's like, why are they bowing down to me? Well, I'll tell you why they're bowing down to me. Because I give them treats. I feed them. I take care of them. I actually am kind to them. And I'm good for them in every way. I, I try to take, as much as cats annoy me, I am humane. And I wonder sometimes, God looks at us and he says, you know, if you, if you honor me, I will take care of you. I have another cat, Tesla. He's just a neuron. He doesn't do that. I mean, it's not like it's an ego thing with me. But he just does whatever he wants to do when he feels like doing it. We don't really have much of a relationship. Because his own authority is whatever that compass is that's spinning in all kinds of direction inside of his head. That... He can't make, I mean, because he'll come in, then he goes out, then he comes in, then he yells at me, and then he goes out, and I'm like, that cat is unstable. (laughs) The other cat, though, he's almost too stable, like he's on Prozac or something. (laughs) But you know what? He's like, you're the man. And I try to respect that. No one else says that in my household, but hey, at least I got a fan fan club of two. But how do we manage that? I think the first thing that we have to do is ask ourselves, what am I being faithful to? Because whatever I'm being faithful to, that probably means that has some authority in my life. And as I'm faithful to it, it's probably another way of saying, this has some influence in my life. This actually affects how I behave. And as a believer, I've got to make sure... That my faithfulness to God is well-tuned so that I can be part of the choir that sings of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. So I'm faithful to God. And God says, I want all of you to understand that being faithful to me, to being starting out your day saying, I believe in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus reigns over everything, including that that, that thing we've been praying about so desperately in off the Florida coast called a hurricane. I believe that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And even those things are subject to his words of peace. Be still. His way of calming storms. Literally and the storms in your life figuratively. And here's the other thing. Have you ever had somebody, have you ever had somebody pop into your head? And you're like, man, I've been thinking about this person a lot. And I can't get them out of my head. There's a good possibility that was a prompting from God. That was probably God's way of saying, you need to have a conversation with that person. You need to come alongside them. Because that person wants to be faithful. They want, they want to be true to me. But like in any choir, you need people to come alongside you. If a person came into our choir and the choir was snobbish to the people in the choir... They wouldn't have a choir for very long. But if a person came into the choir and everybody came around them and said, yeah, yeah, I can't sing that well either, but together it's awesome. 
And they come alongside him and they said, I want to encourage you in this process to learn how to do music together, to sing together, to enjoy the fullness of the blessing of doing something special for God. And so secondly, we need to be faithful to each other. Faithful to each other. We can't do what we're doing alone. Our faith isn't just me and Jesus. Our faith is us. This is us. God, ourselves, each other. And when the fruit of the Spirit emerges in our lives, it's God's way of saying, You're, you got it in order here. You understand that I'm the authority in this equation. And if you live under my authority and you respect it and you're faithful to it, the other stuff just starts to work. In ancient traditions, they would have prayer books. And the prayer books would start out, I know it's old King James type of stuff, but they would start out by saying, when you wake up in the morning, acknowledge the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then surrender your day to him. And in some of these prayer books, they would say, say this three times. And what it does is it underscores how you manage your day based on what you just said. Based on the authority of that statement. And, and quite frequently, I, I do that. And when I don't do it, I, I know. I know that it doesn't work. It breaks down. And what Jesus has come to do is not just bring healing to people that are struggling, but he's came, he came to rescue us from the state of dying forever. And when he died on the cross, it was his way of telling us, I'm faithful to you to the living end, to the point of death. That's how much I love you. And when he rose from the grave, he also said, you may not even know this, but you are captive to the authority of something else that is keeping you away from me. And what I have done on this cross and what the empty tomb expresses is that I have power to deliver you from that and to make your life something completely different. To rescue you and deliver you and restore you. God is that faithful. The question I want to leave you with is how much would you say that you are faithful to him? Some of you may be saying, I want to move in that direction. And the next stop perhaps is to just be brought into his family and to begin the journey. To confess him as your Lord and Savior. To be baptized. Some of you may or may not find uh, uh, that, 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 that baptism is something important to you. But in, in, in here, baptism is a way of defining the moment that you said, I want to be faithful with God and I'm making steps towards faithfulness to him forever. And I also want to be a part of his family. And so we are here to invite you into that family. And we hope that we're faithful in the process of doing that. And we want to give you a place where you can grow in your faith alongside other people so that we can become faithful together. And with all of that said, I just want to let you know that my purpose here is to invite you into that process and into that experience and into that joy.